Hey, Tyler Shields here, pastor of Rock House Baptist Church. I want to personally thank you for tuning in to our podcast today. We pray that the message inspires you, encourages you, and challenges you to be the person that God desires you to be. Be sure to check us out online at rockhousebaptist.org where you can find out more about how to connect, grow, and go. And now, today's message. Well, it's good, certainly great to see everybody this morning, and it's good to, uh, to be back at Rock House. Uh, some of y'all may wonder, where does that preacher, he just disappears, where does he go to? So, uh, one of the things that, that I do, Mike's the only other job I have, is I'm a chaplain, a U.S. Army chaplain, and I'm in the Kentucky National Guard, and so on occasion I will uh, go and minister to troops, which sometimes takes me away from here, but the church has been very gracious in allowing me to do that ministry, and that's where I've been this past week. I've been up in Indiana ministering to a unit of troops and uh, having some church with them. Uh, not in a church, kind of out in the woods, but it's still church, you know, and it's been, it's been good. So thanks again for letting me do that. Uh, two weeks ago, we started talking about this idea of who's your one? Who's the one person that you're going to commit to praying for? And not only that, but commit to beginning to reach and share the gospel with. And I hope we gave out a whole bunch of prayer guides last couple, two weeks ago. And I hope that you've been following along and praying about your one and how God would use you to reach your one. If you've been following along, you started that day, you should be on, on this one. This is a good prayer. Uh, what is this, day 14? It says, God, I know you as one who is compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. You have shown these characteristics to me time and time again. How many can say that? My heart breaks for the countless number of men and women who have not experienced your character as I have. In particular, I pray for blank, your one. I know he or she has some concepts of who you are, many of them probably inadequate or altogether faulty, but I want him or her to know you as you truly are. Cause blank to see you as the great God you are. And get this, here, here's how it ends. And use me to reflect your attributes. I like that. We're out in the middle of March Madness. That prayer to me is almost like, put me in, coach. <laughs> put me in, coach. How? I won't sing any CCR this morning, but I'm ready to play. You know what I mean? I'm ready to go, Lord. Use me some way to reach somebody. I asked you to wear your team shirts this morning, and like I said, I'm, somebody said on the Internet there'd be a, a sea of blue out there, and, and it is. That's awesome. I see a lot of wildcats. Uh, somebody... <laughs> said something about that. I said, I really am just trying to see who's saved. If they don't show up in a Kentucky shirt, we want to be praying for them. I'm going to call you out and get you right with the Lord. But it's, it's an exciting time of the year, isn't it? I mean, how many people have been watching the games a little bit? Let's be honest. It's okay. I have a lot, most of us. I've, I've been excited watching it a little, some, you know, when I can, when I get the chance. What if, now here's, here's how this is all tied together. What if we are as excited about March Madness? I said that backwards. <laughs> what, what if we were as excited about sharing the gospel as we are March Madness? And I'm guilty. I'm, I'm, I'm in there with you. 
I'll tell you, I'll be Friday night, there were some ball games on. I planned on going to bed, and I got so excited I couldn't go to sleep watching them ball games. What if it kept me up at night thinking about sharing the gospel with a person? I'm, uh, <laughs> I gotta be honest with you this morning. I'm a wolf dressed in sheep's clothing. <laughs> um, I didn't think it'd be appropriate just to wear this <laughs> and preach. <laughs> but how about them Liberty Flames, man? Liberty University over in Lynchburg, Virginia. Me and Caitlin both graduated from UK, but I went on and graduated from Liberty, so I'm a little bit partial. I'm so pumped they won their first uh, ever game in the NCAA tournament in school history. And it's a Christian school, you know. The other reason I ask you to do this is Kentucky's kind of the A-team. When you think about the SEC tournament, you think about the NCAA tournament, everybody thinks of Kentucky. Who's Liberty? Liberty's an underdog. Liberty's the B team. We'll get to that in just a minute. We've got all these different teams, all these different colors, all these different players, coaches, a lot of characters coming out right now. Let's bring it back into the church. Let me ask you this. What does Team Jesus really look like? When you hear the word Christian, what comes to mind? Do you think about somebody that goes to church? Somebody that dresses a certain way? Certainly they don't dress this way. You think about somebody that talks a certain way or uh, somebody that's been baptized? If you ask a bunch of different people what is a Christian, you'll probably get a whole bunch of different answers. We claim to be Christians, and I'm proud of that, part of the team, but I think a lot of times we don't even really know what it is that we're claiming to be when we say, yeah, I'm a Christian. If you go out and ask 100 people if they're a Christian, 98 of them will say, yeah, and they've not been in church in 25 years. What if I told you the first followers of Jesus didn't claim to be Christians? What if I told you that was a derogatory term placed on followers of Christ that basically meant little Jesus, little Christ? Look at them little Christ people over there. The word Christian is only used in the Bible three times. And it's always derogatory. I think the church has gotten pretty good at making so-called Christians. And, and there's some good and there's some bad to this. We've gotten pretty good at uh, going out and, and bringing people in. We come up with programs and ministries and things to bring people in and to entertain them uh, with good music. We, we, make, we give them good coffee. We serve McDonald's coffee here, by the way. Just saying. But we, we bring people in and, and we want them to come and see, to come and, and warm a pew and to wear that label Christian and be part of our Churches, but I wonder is there is there really anything more to being a Christian than just being part of the Christian subculture in the United States? We've got to be passionate about two things. One is discipleship. That's what we're talking about this morning. 
Yes, we've got to be passionate about evangelism. We've got to be passionate about sharing the gospel. But the two are not at odds against one another. I, honestly, if you're discipling somebody, they're going to be passionate about sharing the gospel and they're going to be evangelistic. Now, here's a Chuck Spurgeon quote for you today. Your weekly Spurgeon. He says, Have you no wish for others to be saved? Then you're not saved yourself. You can be sure of that. Charles Spurgeon. But evangelism and discipleship go hand in hand. They work together. We have made people, the church at large, I'm not just saying us here at Rock House, but the church at large, we've made people that like to wear that Christian label and like to warm the pews, but we have failed many times to make them into disciples. You see, that's what the followers of Christ were called. <laughs> the twelve disciples. Yeah, we lost one of them, but that, you know, whatever. They were disciples. And you say, well, preacher, there's, you're just mixing. Your, you know, it's a matter of semantics. It's not really. I think it's a matter of different practice when you actually look at, you call yourself what we call Christians here in the United States, and you look at what a real disciple of Jesus Christ is. I think it's part of the reason for the decline of the church in North America. Did you realize Dr. Tom Rayner did the research? He says 80 to 85% of churches today in North America are either plateaued or are in decline. That means 80 to 85% of churches across America are not growing. That's a problem. And I think part of that is because we have failed to make disciples of Christ who go out and make more disciples of Christ. Again, that word Christians used three times in the Bible. Guess how many times the word disciples found in the New Testament? 281 times. It's kind of important. And it carries with it a whole weightier meaning than the word Christian does. We'll talk about that in a moment. I want to look at Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22 this morning. The story is going to sound familiar. Matthew chapter 4, 18 through 22 says, as he, he being Jesus, was walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and his brother Andrew. And they were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me, he told them, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with Zebedee, their father, preparing their nets, and he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. Again, many of us are familiar with this passage, Jesus calling his first disciples, and we can't figure out why these guys left everything behind and immediately in order to follow Jesus. Did they already know him? Chances are, yeah. They probably already knew him. Was there something special about him? Well, we know the answer to that too. But these guys, they, they knew who Jesus was. This story, I think, if you look at the four Gospels, this story comes after the version we read in John chapter 1 two weeks ago when Andrew met Jesus and he went and told Peter, he's like, man, we found the Messiah and he brought him to Jesus. I think this comes after that. But after committing to Jesus... For whatever reason, these guys went back to work for a living, doing what it is they knew how to do, and that was to fish. Their fathers had taught them how to be fishermen. 
And they go back to work. And at this time, in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is calling them once again, but this time into a deeper discipleship process, a closer walk with Him. Now that's my call for you guys today, this morning. A lot of us have committed to following Christ. Some of us may just kind of be dabbling with Christianity. We know a little bit about the Bible. We come to church every now and then. Maybe you're, you've been at this for a while. But today you just feel like, I really need to be closer to the Lord. I need to be closer to Jesus. I need a closer walk. Now here's how this all ties into who's your one, all right? You will share Jesus better the better you know Jesus. You will share Him better the more you know Him. A deeper level of discipleship and a commitment to God's Word and getting into the Word of God will transform literally every area in your life. Think about it this way. How can you share a God that you really don't know? How can you come in here or ride down the road and listen to songs or how can, wherever you're at? How can you worship a God that you really don't know? How can you pray to a God that you really don't know that well? The closer you get to God, everything in your life, in your Christian walk, is going to radically change. Now, we look at this passage of Scripture. I want to, I want to give you just some historical, historical context about the calling in this passage. This, this is awesome. You'll be glad you put money in the offering for this. All the Jewish boys at this time in Jesus' day, they were instructed very deeply in the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And so starting at the age of five, they would come and they'd go through this ceremony and they would be taught for five years the first five books of the Bible. The Jewish people love God's Word. They love it. And so they, they, would, they would do this ceremony. They'd bring these five-year-old boys in. And what they would do is they'd take a drop of honey. How many people like honey? Love honey. they take a drop of honey and they, they'd place the drop of honey on these boys' tongue. Now a lot of these boys were, were pretty poor. Many of them had probably never had anything that was really that sweet in their entire life. Such a treat to get that little bit of honey. And so they dropped the honey on these boys' tongue. And as they did that, somebody would be in the background. They'd open up the Word of God and they began to read from the Torah. Just picture this scene. They're getting this honey. And so somebody in the background says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was formless and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. But the Spirit of God hovered upon the waters. You see, what's happening is these boys are beginning to associate sweetness with the Word of God. And for the next five years, they would go through and they'd study and they'd even memorize large portions of the Torah, those first five books. And then at the age of ten, there was uh, a culling, a cut. You either made the team or you didn't make the team. And so the top students, maybe 20% or so, of those Jewish boys would get to go on to the next level and continue their studies. And they'd study the rest of the Old Testament. Now the ones that just weren't bright enough or couldn't remember enough or whatever the case may be, they got sent back home and most of the time they'd go home and they did whatever it was their fathers was doing. So if your father was a carpenter, you became your father's apprentice and learned carpentry. If he was a fisherman, you learned how to catch fish and sell fish. 
And so the rest of these guys went on and they learned and studied the rest of the Old Testament. And that went on for another seven years. And so at the age of 17, a certain crowd of those boys had been deeply studying God's Word for 12 years of their lives. And then there was another cut. At 17, they had to figure out who was the cream of the crop. And if you had made it that far, it was your dream, your aspiration to, be, to go on. Because if you went on, you eventually got to become a religious leader for your people. They didn't dream about being CEOs or NBA stars or anything like that. For them, being a Jewish religious leader, that was it, man. And that's what, they, that's what every boy aspired to be. So at 17, if they wanted to continue, get this. They didn't get picked. They had to find a rabbi, which is a Jewish preacher, we'll say it that way. They had to find a rabbi that they admired and they wanted to study under, and they had to apply. It's like applying to college. They had to apply to be this rabbi's disciple. And the way they would do that is they would go, and as he was teaching, they'd literally come and sit at his feet. And the rabbi would question them, and he'd test them, and he'd see if they were smart enough and good enough to become his disciple. They were very selective the rabbis were because it was such a cherished position for the Jewish men and the Jewish boys. And they wanted to find somebody that had the capacity to become just like them. Somebody that would not only know what they knew but be able to do what they did which ultimately would be someday sit there and make more disciples. See how this works? And so, now, take all that background. That's kind of neat, isn't it? Take all that background information and look at that in Matthew chapter 4. Doesn't it put this in a whole new light? You see what's happening, right? Jesus comes up to these guys, Simon and Andrew and James and John, and what were they doing? They were fishing, which means they were fishermen, which means at some point down the road they didn't make the cut. They were just ordinary dudes that they may have spent the first five years, they got the free ride, you know, like everybody got. But then somebody looked at them and said, man, you're not smart enough. Go back home to dad and learn how to fish. And Jesus is going up to these guys and he's calling these fishermen. <laughs> Isn't this crazy? Today we would say, okay, these are the ones they didn't get into college or they probably even didn't get into trade school, man. They just had to find some place and go to work and learn how to make a living. And instead of going and sitting at the rabbi's feet, the rabbi of all rabbis has just walked up to them and said, follow me. Wow. The first point is this. Jesus doesn't always call the best. <laughs> Thank God for that. <laughs> Jesus doesn't call the prepared. He prepares the called. He doesn't call the... Y'all have heard this before. He doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. He doesn't call the gifted. He gifts the called. If, let that truth sink in for just a moment, though. Think about that. When Jesus Christ... The King of kings and the Lord of lords chose the very ones that he wanted to use to change this world. He didn't go and choose from the cream of the crop. He chose the B team. He chose the underdog. 
And he said, I'm going to use you guys to do what everybody else thinks you are incapable of doing because I'm going to do it through you. What's it mean for us? Well, first it means you don't have to feel bad for not having the most talent. You don't have to feel bad for not knowing as much as other people may know. You don't have to feel bad about feeling as unqualified to do what it is that God's called you to do when you look over here and say, well, so-and-so, they do a real good job at that, Lord. No, God calls you for a reason. And a lot of times that reason is because He knows it's not about what you can do, but what He can do through you. You've heard probably preachers say it's not so much about your ability as your availability. And I think that the people that are most likely to be used by God are the ones that make themselves the most available to God to be used. It means that God wants to use you. God wants to use your story, your life, your testimony, your family. He's chosen you. And so for us, we've got to stop making these excuses and simply follow wherever Jesus leads. He's chosen you. Whether you're A team, B team, or whatever team you're on, God wants to use you. And then notice what His calling is to His disciples. It's simple. It's a simple follow me. Go be with me. Go with me. Second point, our primary calling is to be with Christ. We often say, and we get confused about things, we say, I wonder what God's calling me to do or where God's calling me now. It's not always that God's calling you to do something. It's more often He's calling you to be more like Him. That's our primary calling. We've got to remember it's not always about doing something, but being closer to Him. When Jesus called these four men, these four disciples, He never told them where they was going. He never told them what they were going to be doing. But they followed Him. He simply said, come with me. Follow me. Be with me. Get to know me. And as you get to know me over the next three years, you're going to become more like me. There's an old saying in those days that you followed your rabbi so closely that the dust of your rabbi's feet would get on you. You imagine following Jesus that close. How awesome would that be? How do we do that today? Well, I think it starts by being in God's Word. I got a Bible somewhere around here. It starts by being, I carry it off sometimes. It starts by being in God's Word. In those days, these disciples got to hear the very Word of God from the mouth of God. Today, He gives us His Word. And if we can get into His Word, then we'll be closer to Him. We have a lot of ways for you to do that. I'm going to put a plug in. Gosh, i got to get moving. Yeah, you hear the Word of God on Sunday morning. But I'll be honest with you, that's not enough. You need to get plugged into one of these groups, whether it's Wednesday night or Sunday night or some other time that you can come, Sunday school. Also, we've got something coming down the pipe we've been working on for months now. And it's an sm even smaller group than that. And the point of this group is to bring you into a group of three to five people where you all go and you learn and you study and you memorize God's Word together, just like Jesus did with these few disciples. So in the very near future, almost everybody's going to be getting an invitation to become part of another group. And I'll be honest with you, if that means that you need to sacrifice time in a different place, do that to be part of this, because this is where you're going to get your meat and taters. We're calling it a D group right now. But the goal... The whole goal of all of that 
is to get you back into God's Word until God's Word gets into you and begins to change every part of your life. Next thing we see is these men left some things to follow Jesus, didn't they? That's how it is when Christ calls us. Our calling, third point, our calling is to leave all for Christ. Notice what Matthew says. It says immediately they left their boat and their father. Imagine if God asked some of us to leave our boats, man. <laughs> Jim, you got to leave that bass boat, brother. We'd be broke. Or even our family. Let alone our, our mothers and fathers. But these things are mentioned here because these would have been the two most important things to these men in their lives. Their boat, that was their career. That was the way that they put food on their table and provided for their families. It was the trade that they had learned from their father. Their father had been their master and taught them probably from the time they were 10 years old how to be fishermen and provide for their families. And Christ comes and says, not only to leave your boat, but you want to leave your old father Zebedee sitting there in his boat. And it's crazy that they actually did it. What about us? Well, God may never ask us to give up our careers. He may never ask us to sacrifice the most important relationships in our lives. But we need to be willing to, don't we? Because He may. What if God says... I want you to go to the mission field. I want you to leave everything you know in the comforts of North America and head off to the middle of Brazil or somewhere. Where is God calling you today? Many times in life, God does call us to leave something behind or someone behind or something behind. Just let it go. And move on into what it is that God has in store for us next. Last point. It's the whole aim of our discipleship with Christ. And if you fell asleep on me, come back. This is, this is important. Disciples are called to become disciple makers. Disciples are called to become disciple Makers. He says, follow me, and then he gives them the purpose, the reason for doing so. And I will make you fishers of men. Allow me to disciple you, and I will teach you to disciple others who can then go forth and do the same thing. I believe this is a command from Jesus to every believer, to every person that claims to follow Christ, not just a select few. Jesus tells his disciples this up front. I'm going to make you fishers of men. You're going to quit fishing for fish and start fishing for people. And then it's the last thing he reminds them when he leaves and goes back to the Father in the Great Commission at the end of the book of Matthew. Now on that, check this out. Barna tells us, now you guys probably get it this more than anybody else, but we know what the Great Commission is, right? Oh, oh boy, maybe this, maybe this is for us. Barna tells us 51% of churchgoers don't know what the Great Commission is. Only 17% of people that go to church are familiar with the passage, and for the rest of them, it kind of rings a bell. So in case you forgot or I haven't told you, this is the Great Commission at the end of Matthew. Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Jesus looks at his disciples. He's been crucified. He has died. He has risen from the dead. He's getting ready to go back to the Father in heaven. And he looks at these guys and he says, Go, therefore, and what? 
Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you, and remember I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is our commission. This is our command straight from the mouth of Jesus. Now, real quickly, understand what, what, what we're saying here. Unfortunately, the heart of the Great Commission is sometimes lost in translation. If you go back to the original Greek in, in the book of Matthew, the words go, the words baptize, and the word teach, they are all participles. That means they are secondary to a primary verb. Guess what the primary action word is in that Great Commission? It's not go. It's make disciples. We don't really have a real English word for that. But if you look at it, it literally means go disciple all nations. Do like these Jewish boys did with their rabbis. Get the word of God into them. Invest in people until they begin to invest in people. Disciple the nations. Is that clear as mud? <laughs> Alright. So as we go and we baptize them and we teach them, don't just make converts. Don't just make people that want to come and hang out at church. Don't just make people that want to wear the Christian label. Make true, sold-out disciples of Jesus Christ who become disciple-makers. Let me pray for you. Father, Lord, today I pray that you would guide every person in here. Lord, first of all, to take a step closer to you. Lord, let us walk so close to you that the dust of our rabbi gets on us. When people look at us and they say, Man, that person's been hanging out with Jesus. God, I pray that you draw every one of us to take a closer walk with you today. And the purpose for that, Lord, is so we can go and, and in turn invest into somebody else. That we can have the confidence, we can have the boldness, Lord, take somebody else and begin to disciple them to take our one and Lord not only lead them to you and get them saved and get them baptized but then invest in them God if it takes a year if it takes five years God let us pour you and your word into somebody else but God let it begin here today with a fresh commitment to us personally getting into your word spending time with you in Jesus name Thanks again for tuning in today. And remember, the greatest decision that you could ever make is to place your faith in Jesus Christ for salvation and begin a personal relationship with Him. Again, thanks for listening. God bless.